Sometimes we think we know a story, we think we've read the Gospels, we think we've read the Christmas story, and perhaps we haven't even opened it. And I'm not trying to insult you, but I know many of you have seen the manger scenes, right? Have you seen, how many have you seen the manger scenes? How many have one? How many have been working on it lately? You put, put it up. And I, ta- I, I talked about this at the Ladies' Advent for a little bit, which, you know, in our, in our manger scenes are, are a little crowded. Is anybody else's crowded? Um, you got the, you got the shepherds there. You know what I mean? You got the donkey, you got a few animals. You got to have Mary and Joseph, right? They got the baby Jesus. You got to get the wise men. And I remember setting, I was telling the ladies at Advent, I remember setting my grandmas up and I get stressed out because how do you get them all in there? You know what I mean? So like one of them has the, one of the magi going like this. So I just put him off in the distance. You know what I mean? Kind of peering in. How do you fit? And here's, here's the interesting thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't even try to jam them all in their manger scene. That's an American idea. We've got to get them all in the scene. Isn't that funny? Matthew doesn't include the shepherds, and Luke doesn't include the wise men. And why is it that the people that wrote the Bible don't feel the pressure to jam everybody in there, but we do? says something about our American culture, for one. I think we overcrowd Christmas as it is, right? We overcrowd our lives. We've got to jam everything in there. Um, if you go to Bible school, which, well, I was, never mind. If you, if you do, the, they have the, sometimes they give you these things they call the harmony of the Gospels. Harmony of the Gospels. Why do they do this? Why do people write these? Because if you've ever been reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go, well, why does this guy say this and this guy say that? And that doesn't make any sense. Anybody? And so what they try to do is they, it stresses people out who need lots of order. Is that, are you one of those people? Like if someone sits on your couch and then they get up to go to the bathroom, you flop, right? You got to have it up. Everything's got to be right. Are you that? So we wanted to make it all fit and make sense. Perfect timing. So they put a harmony, which... Then, then if that's the way God wanted to see it, why didn't he just give us a harmony of... But there's four different Gospels, and they all feature four different things. It's our need for order, our stress, and missing, if I can say, perhaps missing the whole point of the Jesus story. Humbly. Uh, let me give you one verse. Last week, we did Matthew, Matthew's account with King Herod, in the days of King Herod. Today we'll do Luke, all right? And by the way, some of you are like, Chris, but it's Christmas and we want to be warm and fuzzy. Uh, Don't we? Come on, we want the Christmas. We want warm and fuzzy. I promise you, we're done with history after today. We're going warm and so fuzzy this next weekend. How many are with me? All right, bring somebody out. It'll be fuzzy. All right. I mean, you'll feel like in your pajamas this next Sunday, I'm telling you. But just, could I... I mean, so Luke, Luke writes, this is Luke's gospel, Luke's story of Christ. And Luke 2, 1, he says, In the days, in those days, Caesar Augustus. How many remember this verse from a pageant you were in with a bathrobe as a kid? All right? Um, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. All right, most people will say this guy here, Caesar Augustus, they will say, is the first Roman emperor. 
his dad, uh, Julius Caesar, uh, you know, was famous. He was a general, and he kind of tried to consolidate power a bit by taking his army across the Rubicon River, um, eventually was assassinated by the Senate. Um, but his, his adopted son, Octavian, the guy we're reading about right here, becomes the emperor. And um, Matthew writes about Herod. Luke writes about Caesar, both in introducing Jesus. I think, and I'll I'll try to bear this out, but I think what they're trying to do is I think they're trying to, if I could say it this way, flip the script. That is to say, everybody was saying or thinking one thing about who was ruling, about the king and the person and the place of power, and they were trying to say, perhaps there's another king Perhaps there's a different kind of king, and perhaps there's a completely different way of being king. Matthew was probably written somewhere in Judea, right? In the area around where Jesus lived, in the area around where Herod ruled. Therefore, Matthew would write about what? Herod. Luke was probably written in Rome. So, great chance Luke would write about, right? Caesar, who ruled in Rome. And we know a lot about, about Caesar. Augustus was an unbelievable, powerful ruler. And he, what he did is he took the Roman Empire and he pushed it to unbelievable boundaries. Spain, Britain, over towards India, down into Africa, annexed Egypt. He just kept conquering and conquering and conquering, and he ushered in an era, and you've heard this phrase before, called the Pax Romana, right? Roman peace. Let's say it together. Roman peace. And everybody knew it. It was like, this is the guy that ushered in peace. Now, he had a particular way of ushering in peace. Mom, have you ever used this technique? Mom, have you ever ushered in peace? Brokered peace. With this? With this? How many moms got this going on right here? Anybody? Like, I'm going to... Bro- we, we will have peace in this house. We will have peace in this car ride. I will use whatever means necessary. Caesar goes, and they would, they would ride into a village... And they would have you make a declaration. They would say, hey, we just want you to know that right now in this area, Caesar is Lord. And you would all reply in your particular township or village. You would say sort of like, amen, yes, Caesar is indeed Lord. And you're like, thank you very much. We thought you'd see it our way. And uh, here's where you pay your taxes. And then they would ride to the next town. This is literally what they did. Um, if you didn't say Caesar is Lord, you didn't join the chorus, you didn't join the band. Um, they invented a particular way of killing you publicly and humiliating you and extending that humiliation and torture uh, for as long as they wanted to, and we call it a crucifixion. So they'd ride into your town, and if you didn't agree, you just said, no, he's not Lord here. Then they would just 
find these poles and they would nail you to them and they would hang you up and people would watch you die publicly. Documented. Throughout history, certain times, they, they documented history, 2,000 people in one massive crucifixion. Either Caesar is Lord or you die. So peace, right? Peace was a relative term. It was peaceful. By and large, in comparison to other decades, it was unbelievably peaceful. But it was peaceful at a what? At a price, at a threat. And and that what he was doing was bringing in peace in a certain kind of way. This is the way I'm going to bring in peace. A few verses later, we read um, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. If you know your Bible geography, Galilee is in the north, Judea. Jerusalem is more towards the south. And uh, not far from Jerusalem is the town of Bethlehem. All right? So Joseph went up uh, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. It says up because, well, they were going up. It was more mountainous. It's more that than... Anyway, okay. To Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. This is probably an important verse. And many of you have seen this depicted in um, the Christmas pageants. How many of you were ever in a Christmas pageant when you were a child? Just for grins. Huh? How many had a bathrobe on? Just, all right, so, so you got Mary and Joseph, and they're making, this is the big journey, right? This is the big one. Now, what we know today, uh, it's about 80 miles, Right? In those days, probably about a three-day journey-ish, right? And um, if, you, if you do it in a rental car, it's about three hours if you stop for falafel, right? It, it was a three-day journey, and as, as they were making their way, we all have things in our head. But let me just throw something out at you that maybe you hadn't thought of just to chew on in the Christmas story. David is from where? Bethlehem. David's from Bethlehem. What is David doing in Nazareth? Why is he there? College? No. What we know in those days is they, these guys, I mean, again, sorry for all the Christmas cards and everything, they're teenagers. Mary's probably 13. Historically, that would be normal. I mean, unless the Bible is like some sort of weird anomaly where they waited until they were 30. She's probably 13. You know, he's probably 16, 17, 18. We don't know. How many, know? How many got teenagers? I mean, this is changing the story real quick, isn't it? What? Joseph... Uh, uh, from the, from the family of David, from the town of Bethlehem, how things worked in those days is your family had a plot of land. And you worked to the land, and you passed the land on to the next generation. The taxes in those days were so high 
And they had, they had triple taxation. I don't have time to get into it. But some people, listen, some people say they were taxed 80% of their income. Somebody's got to pay for those horses that Caesar is riding on. Somebody has to pay for that army. Somebody has to pay for that peace. Somebody has to pay for the war machine. Somebody has to pay for it. What happens when you get taxed 80% of your income? You have to start selling things. You have to start losing things. Probably the last thing that you want to sell or lose is the family, what? Land. Why do historians think Joseph was up in Nazareth? Because he had been booted off the family land and is up working as a tecton, or what we call these days a carpenter, but could have been a stone, and probably was as much a stonemason, building the city of Sephoris, right? About a 45-minute walk from Nazareth. Mary and Joseph aren't singing, Oh, little town of... That's not what they're doing, right? There aren't twinkle lights... Right? If Joseph is a man like most of the men that I know in this room, even a young man or a teenager, he is seething. Now, why am I making this three-day journey with a pregnant, uh, with a pregnant wife or woman? That, and why am I taking this journey on to get her to a good hospital? Right? You can think of that. Dad's, I, hey, i got to have the best for my... I, no, I want to stay where I am. I want to be warm. No, I'm going here back to my land. The reason I'm up here in the first place is probably because of taxes and, and, and overreach by an, a, a power-hungry government. And now I'm going back. Why? To make sure I'm enrolled to pay even more what? Hmm... Oh, little... Sing along, Mary. (laughs) Did you get this in Sunday school? How was the Christmas story playing out? Why did Luke, why did Matthew, why did they write? I, I think they were trying to, if I can say this, flip the script. I think that they were trying to say, you know, the guy that keeps talking about providing peace, he's not really providing peace. And somebody else is going to come along that's going to provide peace, but he's going to do it in a completely different way. Um, Often I'm trying to just work with us here to learn a few things. So if I may, just give me a minute here. The word gospel. Gospel. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Gospel. Gospel. What does that mean? That means a choir that can get down. Right? That means that's a church word. That means, that means, but some of you know, you've been educating me. That means the good news. Some of you, please, please. Work. The good what? News. Or good tidings. Oh, tidings of what? Ah, na, 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 na. Right? It's good news. It's good tidings. And what we think is that that's what they said about Jesus. And it's true. 
It is. But do you know who they said that about before they said it about Jesus? Caesar. Yeah, they have an inscription. You can find it. You can go to, you can go to a British museum. Actually, the, the Brits stole it. But anyway, stole it, took it, borrowed it, put it in their museum. Anyway, it was from Turkey. And there was an inscription. And the inscription says, right, we should, I'm, I'm paraphrasing grossly, but we should celebrate the birth of Caesar, the Soter, Savior of the world, who brings us peace. That's already going around. Already going around in the newspapers, right? Caesar is the savior of the world. Caesar is the prince of peace. What are all these phrases? What are all these words that are now being attributed to Jesus? Isn't it a poke in the eye of Caesar? Isn't it somebody saying, let's turn the script around? Why does it matter, Chris? It's 2017. Here's why it matters. We still need people today who will turn the script around, who will flip the script. There's a script that's written today. Here's what you need to believe about politics. Here's what you need to believe, right, about fighting. Here's what you need to believe about anger. Here's what you need to believe about revenge. Here's what you need to believe about violence. Here's what you need to believe. And I think we need some people in the stream of Jesus who would say, you know what? Maybe there's a different way we could do that. Or we'll take it to your own living room. Your kids are fighting. And you appeal to one of them to halt the fighting. Huh? I'll tell a quick story on Ladon. Since he's not here, he's at graduation. And you won't tell him I said it. Uh, But he was telling me that his two kids got into it one day. And he said they got into it so big and it escalated. I know it doesn't happen in your house. but And he's escalated and escalated. He goes, they ripped the towel bar off of the bathroom wall. And put a giant hole in the wall. And how many know as soon as that happened, the fighting stopped because now they know their dad was going to kill them both. (laughs) Right? And they they went from fighting to allies. We got to fix this. Our dad's going to kill us. Right? They, they, They fix it. Here's the thing. The fighting happens. You have to figure out how do I stop this? How do I stop it? And you appeal to one of them, usually the older one, right? Have you ever done this? Usually the older one and go, come on, just stop it. Be more, what? Mature. Do you guys, am I, am I, do I live in a bubble? Or, be more mature. Just be above it. Don't, and you're trying to do what? They're buying into a script. What's the script they're buying into? He hurts me, I will what? Hurt him back. He does something to me, I do it back. And, and what's the thing they always say? She did it. Okay, you have been alive. She did it first. He did it first. In other words, whatever I do is now and therefore justified and sanctioned by Almighty God, right? Because he did it first. They always appeal to that. He did it first. And what do you appeal to? You know, you're right. Let him have it. You know, usually you go, could you just come above it? Could you let it go? Could you please just rise above it? How many go, no, eye for an eye. Stand over there, son. 
you know, a few twisted parents. But most normal people go, no, no, we're going to... In other words, you're trying to say, I want you to buy into a different script. I want you to let it go. Well, it's so hard to let stuff go when somebody gets you, isn't it? No? Is it hard to let stuff go when somebody gets you? When they get one over on you? When they get a free shot at you? I mean, you just, it's so hard. Just let it go. Just let it go. Along comes Jesus and he starts saying things like, forgive your enemies. Pray for them. Love them. This is no way to be a Caesar. This is no way to rule. But this new kind of king comes onto the scene. Years later, years later, he's changed the world. That's when these were written. Years later, and people want to go, how did that happen? And Luke's like, let me tell you how it happened. Everybody thought this was the Prince of Peace. But it turns out, this is the true pathway of peace. Anybody ever read in the gospel like Mary's song, the Magnificat, right? And, and I, I got to be honest with you, I, I read it for years and I, I said, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what, what this has to do with anything. It just seems a little out there to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm bad at opera. I always pictured it done in opera. Anybody? Maybe that's the way I saw it the first time. Mary is told by this angel that she's going to be with child and she doesn't know how it's going to happen, and, but she accepts it and she, she trusts. And then Mary goes into this song. And listen, just listen to a little bit of the song. She starts in, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she's, she's happy. She's happy about it, right? He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's remembered right? Then I'm the humble. I'm the beaten down. <laughs> Who here has an older brother? <laughs> Bad older brothers, right? The, the older brothers are wicked, right? They beat you down, right? And, and my mom would always say to me, don't worry, honey. One day you're going to be bigger than him. That's the only defense I got. That's all she had for me. I told her, I saw her a couple of weeks ago. I go, Mom, do you know you, what you used to tell me is one day you'll be bigger? That's all you gave me. It never happened. It never, he's like, he's like six, eight, 300. I mean, he's huge. It, it's never, it's never happened. So if you're the under, you're the underdog, you're the, Mary and her people, right? 80% taxation. Humiliated. Humble doesn't even begin. Humiliated. Three days of walking back to your hometown just so you can register to pay more taxes. Probably standing, walking by land that used to farm, used to belong to you, place you used to sit and eat figs with tears. It's like you remembered us. You remembered us. You remembered us. Go on to read her song. One guy says, it's not 
like Mary's opera, it's a little more like rage against the machine, right? And she's like, you, you are going to send the rich away empty handed. All right. We might be empty here in a minute. All right. I think, is that the cue? Get it done. All right. I'm getting it done. Here's what I'm trying to say today before the lights go out on me and it's over. Here, listen, this is what I'm trying to say. Um, the message in the story of Christmas is a story of hope. See, I told you we get fuzzy in a minute. But why do these little one-word things, why is it that they do encapsulate Christmas? Hope, joy, peace. Because people that don't have any hope, and if you've ever been in a place, listen very carefully to me, where you don't feel hope, that's the worst place to be. You can lose money, you can lose your job, you can lose your health, but as long as you have hope, you have this idea that, you know what, it, it can get better, it might turn around, this isn't all the way over yet, I still have hope, I don't have much else, but I got hope. But you can have all the stuff in the world, and if you don't have hope, it's the worst place to be. Christmas story is a story of hope. It's a story that says, when it seems like those people are going to win, when it seems like evil is going to prevail, and you try to flip the script, and you try to do the right thing, and you try to do the loving thing, but it's still not going your way, Luke's saying, hold on, hold on, there's hope. And people that have hope, those are powerful people. This gospel was an infusion, an injection of hope. Because a new round of persecution was about to come from the Roman Empire. And they needed something to hold on to. To say, you know what? God's going to flip the script. And here, in the words uh, of the gospel account from Matthew, is this. Emmanuel. God is now what? He's with us. Here's what I want to leave you with today. No matter what three-day journey you're on, right? Put yourself on that three-day journey. Put yourself on that donkey. Put yourself in that misery, right? Say, no matter what journey I'm on, no matter what's against me, God is for me. And Mary erupted in song. She's like, God's for me. He's for me. He's going to turn this script around. So here's what I want to leave you. Please, first of all, hold on to hope. If you're desperate, if you're difficult, if things are dark, if you don't see a way out, you say, I don't know, you just hold on to hope, knowing that God is with you. Second, let's be a part of turning the script. When everyone's believing this thing about power, this thing about money, this thing about retaliation, let's turn the script and say, you know what? I see in Jesus someone who did it differently. It's not our natural, listen, it's not our natural instinct. I mean, we, it's literally a reflex. If someone hits you, you just what? It's reflex. So this is a flipping, not only of the script, literally of our nature, which is what made Jesus so revolutionary. When everyone's saying one thing around you, listen carefully, read deeper, read deeper. Read deeper.